You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome to Wise Guys, These Guys Know Sports. Happy New Year. Happy 2023 to everybody out there. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram. These guys know sports. No other great way to come in than on that. Welcome back by Mace because Wise Guys is officially back ladies and gentlemen come on in and sit a while i got an action jam-packed show happy new year everybody i am back the nfl playoffs are upon us and it is nice to kick off the new year with some great great football this upcoming weekend so many matchups to get to in the nfl playoffs i'm gonna talk about all these matchups Tonight and also on Thursday night's show, we got some big-time matchups in the NFL this weekend on Wild Card Weekend. We obviously got the Chargers traveling to Jacksonville to take on Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's going to be a great matchup. Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence in prime time on Saturday night, also in the AFC. We got an AFC East battle, Dolphins, Bills in Buffalo. So I'm definitely excited about that matchup as well. We're not sure about the status of Tua Tagovailoa. So depending on his status on that game, that's going to determine whether or not the Dolphins have a legit chance at upsetting the Bills. And then obviously, here in the Queen City, down at Paycar Stadium, Sunday night, we got Ravens, we got Bengals, we possibly, we have Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Ravens, Bengals, AFC North showdown at Paycar Stadium. Cannot wait for that matchup Sunday night on NBC. And let's switch to the NFC. We got an NFC West battle. Seahawks, Niners, excited for that matchup. Also in the NFC, Giants at Vikings. Interesting matchup between two teams who not many people believe in. But this is going to be an exciting matchup between the Giants and the Vikings as well on Sunday. And then the primetime matchup in the NFC. It's on Monday Night Football on ESPN. It's going to be called by Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. We got Cowboys. We got Buccaneers. Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, and Tampa. So it's some great matchups on Wild Card Weekend. 
I mean, this is some insane. All these matchups, too, were previous matchups from the regular season. So I'm definitely excited about that. And I'm going to get into all the matchups and preview all the games. So I'm going to do three games tonight and do three games on Thursday. So tune in for sure. Call into the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. The question of the day for tonight's show is, who is the sleeper in the NFL playoffs this year? Which team is going to be the sleeper? Who do you? Who, which team would you say is a team that everyone needs to watch out for? Call in. Give me your vote on that. Also, later on the show, I have a special guest appearance from... My wise guys, college football analyst, Tony Hollinsworth. He's going to call into the show. We're going to talk about Georgia's big-time win over TCU last night. So I'm excited to have Tony on here in a bit to talk about that game. And that's where we're going to begin tonight in the show in college football. We got to start off. With the Georgia Bulldogs dominating the TCU Horn Frogs 65 to 7. Yes, you read that right. 65 to 7. Georgia beat TCU to repeat as national champions of college football for TCU. Max Dugan, he went 14 of 22. He threw for 152 passing yards. Two interceptions for Georgia. Stinson Bennett, he went 18 of 25. He threw for 304 passing yards, three touchdowns in this game. And so the Georgia Bulldogs repeat as national champions. And a couple things I want to get out the way. Let's go by the numbers with this repeat as champions for the Georgia Bulldogs. This 58-point win by the Bulldogs is the largest margin of victory in a bowl game ever the 65 points scored by georgia is the most in a national championship game ever georgia went 15 and 0 they are the fifth team in major college football to finish 15 and 0 or better and stinson bennett he had six touchdowns on the night four passing touchdowns two rushing touchdowns and so that's what you what was at stake for the Bulldogs and what they accomplished by the numbers this year. That's what they accomplished. So this was a dominating performance. This is the largest win in a bowl game all time. This 58-point win by Georgia over TCU was the largest win in a bowl game all time. And coming into the game, the Bulldogs were double-digit favorites, and they covered. They were 13 and a half favorites coming into the game. And so since 1997, they were the they have they were the largest favorite in CFP BCS championship game. They were the largest favorite to cover. They were 13 and a half favorites coming into the game. So it was a dominating performance all around by Georgia. And that's where I want to start tonight. Because this was a complete mismatch this didn't have anything to do with coaching this was the georgia bulldogs being a more superior football team 
than the TCU Horn Frogs are. Like in every phase of the game, Georgia dominated TCU. And Stinson Bennett, he was sensational in this game. He finishes his career. He was 29 and 3 as Georgia's starting quarterback. He won the college football playoff offensive MVP for a second straight year. In this game, Stinson Bennett was sensational. I mean, 18 of 25 passing, 304 passing yards, three touchdowns. Stinson Bennett put on a sensational performance for the Georgia Bulldogs. And after the game, Kirby Smart, the head coach for the Georgia Bulldogs, he talked about Stinson Bennett and talked about how he believes that Stinson Bennett is the greatest player in Georgia Bulldog history. Now, you got to remember, this is a university that had the likes of Herschel Walker on their football team. And for Kirby Smart to come out and say this about Stinson Bennett tells you everything you need to know about how great Stinson Bennett has been in these two years since he's took over in the starting job at the quarterback position for the Georgia Bulldogs. He's been sensational. And you, you got to remember, at one point, he came to Georgia. They didn't want him. They didn't want him at Georgia. They said no. He had to go to another college, win a championship, and then he finally got a chance to attend Georgia. He was the third string quarterback at one point. And for him to only lose one game in two years, Stinson Bennett, he put on a great performance since he's been the starting quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs. And last night, his performance reminded me of Joe Burrow's performance in the national championship game a few years ago when LSU beat Clemson. In that game, Joey B, he went 31 of 49. He threw for 463 passing yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Now, Stinson Bennett, obviously last night he had three touchdowns, threw for over 300 passing yards in the game. And in these two playoff wins for the Georgia Bulldogs, Stinson Bennett has been sensational. Against Ohio State, he went 23 of 34. He threw for 398 passing yards, three touchdowns, only one interception. And he followed that up with a four-touchdown performance in this game. So in two games, in two college football playoff games for Georgia, Bennett had seven touchdowns. The man completed about 69% of his passes in those two games. He was sensational. Can't say enough about the job that Stinson Bennett has done. I love his story. I love an underdog story, and Stinson Bennett is an underdog. He's not as gifted as C.J. Strout is. He's not as gifted as Bryce Young is. He's not as gifted as Miller, the quarterback for USC, is. But Stinson Bennett is a gamer. And I believe this Georgia Bulldogs football team, they rallied around their quarterback. And I believe he was 
a great leader during this run for the Georgia Bulldogs over the last two years. He's been a tremendous leader in that locker room. And the thing about Georgia is they don't need an elite quarterback at the collegiate level because they have so many four- and five-star athletes on the field. If they put a mediocre quarterback behind center, they can win football games. They can win football games with a mediocre quarterback. And Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart, he has done a great job since he's been the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. Kirby Smart, in his first seven seasons with the Georgia Bulldogs, he has a career record of 81-15, and 15, so he's won 84% of his games, and he's won two back-to-back national championships. You got to start talking about Kirby Smart in the same conversation as other elite coaches in college football. He has done a hell of a job leading this Georgia football team and this program overall. And I love how after the game, Smart praised Bennett. He praised his football team. And he talked about how all year long, he told his football team that many people didn't believe in the Georgia Bulldogs. Even though they were 13 and a half favorites going into this game, he used that as motivation because coming into the college football playoffs, people talked about how, oh, maybe Georgia can get knocked off. And then what we saw in the semifinal round where C.J. Stroud put on a great performance against that Georgia Bulldogs elite defense, everyone was talking about, well, maybe, maybe TCU can upset Georgia. And I think Georgia used that as motivation last night in this dominating performance. The score was 65-7. to Honestly, I believe Georgia could have scored 100 points if they wanted to. I believe the Bulldogs could have scored 100 points if they wanted to last night. Brock Bowers, seven receptions, 152 receiving yards, one touchdown. Ladd McConney. Five receptions, 88 receiving yards, two touchdowns. The game was over at halftime. It was over at halftime. I went out and got me something to eat. And I'm out because I like when I, when it's a major big game, I like to go out and watch the game at a restaurant. I'm out last night, and I'm thinking, this game is over. I might as well go home and get prepared for my Tuesday because this game is over. And honestly, I turned the fourth quarter off. And I love the fact that Kirby Smart, he took Stinson Bennett out and gave him an opportunity to get a standing ovation from that Georgia crowd that traveled well out there to L.A. Game was played at SoFi Stadium. So this was a dominating performance by Georgia all around. And I thought the interception that they got in the second quarter I believe the TCU was trying to go down and score some points before the half, and they got an interception, Georgia did, and they were already on the Horn Frogs' other side of the 50. So, yeah, they were already within scoring range once they got that interception, and I thought that completely swung the momentum. Now, Dugan did have a, a big play in the first quarter, 
that's what one touchdown drive that the Horn Frogs had all night, and that was on a busted coverage. So Georgia had a busted coverage on that particular play. That's why they were able to get that play off because it was a busted coverage. But other than that, it was a dominating performance all the way around by the Georgia Bulldogs. Statistically, Georgia had 32 first downs. TCU had nine first downs. Georgia converted on nine of 13 third down plays. TCU only went two of 11. Georgia had 254 rushing yards. TCU had 36 rushing yards. Georgia had 335 passing yards. TCU only had 152 passing yards. Total yards for the game, Georgia had 589. TCU had 188. So everywhere you look, Georgia dominated this game. Georgia had 51 plays in TCU territory. TCU only had seven plays in Georgia territory. So that tells you everything you need to know about this game. And I know everyone's talking about, you know, whether or not Georgia is now in the same class as Alabama. It's hard to argue with six championships in 12 years by Nick Saban, but Kirby Smart has this Georgia Bulldogs program headed in the right direction. And in the in the postgame press press conference after the game, well, not the postgame press conference, I'm sorry. In the after the game, when they were talking about the game on ESPN, David Pollock, former Bulldog, he was talking right alongside Nick Saban, and he said that Georgia is now the standard in college football. And the you can see Nick Saban's face as Pollock is saying this because you know Nick Saban feels like if Alabama was in this football game, it would have been a way more competitive football game and I agree but you cannot allow an Alabama football team into the college football playoffs with two losses I know TCU got blown off the field last night and I know everyone's talking about how it would have been a better national championship game if it was Alabama versus Georgia I understand I get it we all know the SEC is on another level compared to other conferences in college football. But the national championship was the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Georgia Bulldogs. Because Ohio State, they stood tall and they went toe-to-toe with the Georgia Bulldogs. They didn't allow Georgia to bully them. Shout out to C.J. Stroud, because C.J. Stroud was sensational in that playoff game for the Ohio State Buckeyes. He did everything he could to wheel the Buckeyes to a win in that game. But I know Alabama fans and Nick Saban, they're, they, they feel like they got snubbed and they feel like the championship game would have been more competitive if they were in it compared to TCU being in it. And I agree. But you, got, you had to allow TCU to have this opportunity. And they did get blown off the field because last year UC got into the college football playoffs and Alabama didn't embarrass UC. Georgia embarrassed TCU. But I want to give a lot of credit to that TCU football team and their the way that they care, that they played this year. I know they got blown out last night, but they have a lot, a lot to be proud of as a program moving forward. And they are led by their head coach, Sony Dykes. He did a great job leading this TCU football team. 
this year. He really, really did. You look at TCU, they had six wins versus AP-ranked opponents. That's the most in season in program history. They were unranked in the preseason AP poll. It's the first preseason unranked team to reach the title game since the 2013 Auburn Tigers. And they had an eight-win improvement from 2021, their largest over a two-season span since 2013-14 season. So TCU has a lot to be proud of. Max Dugan, he didn't play his best game last night. And I know he was a Heisman candidate. And honestly, coming into the season, he was the second-string quarterback. The only reason why he even got a chance to start was because there was an injury. So Max Dugan didn't play his best football last night, but for the most part, Max Dugan has had a, a great season overall as a quarterback for the TCU Tigers. This year, he had 32 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 3,698 passing yards, and again, he led his team to the title game. And I didn't expect Dugan to be as good as he was this year. And he did a good job leading his TCU football team. But it's going to be interesting to see that battle between Georgia and Alabama for future seasons to come. I, I cannot wait for it. I would love to see a national championship game between Georgia and Alabama one, you know, next year or the year after. But two years in a row for Georgia, I understand why some folks feel like they're the standard but I still think Alabama will have a lot to say about that next year. And don't forget, I'm also going to bring on my college football analyst, Tony Hollinsworth, and we're going to talk about this game more here in a bit. Everybody go and follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow the Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Coming at the break, I'm going to discuss the Packers' shortcomings and them missing the playoffs after their disappointing loss at Lambeau Field Sunday night. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Wise Guy Sports is officially back in the house with your boy Trey Larkins. Go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call into the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to down. Question of the day for tonight's show is, who is the team that's a sleeper in the NFL playoffs this year. Give me your vote. 513-203-8655. Who is that sleeper team that no one is thinking about and who could possibly step up and surprise a lot of people in the NFL playoffs this year? Call me and give me your vote. Before I move to my next topic, I want to say this real quick about the Georgia-Alabama rivalry. Now, last year they did play in the national championship game, and Jameis Williams. Jamison Williams, the receiver for the Detroit Lions now, he was previously the star receiver at Bama. He got hurt, and so he wasn't available 
during that game for Alabama. So I thought that was also a key for Bama losing him last year against Georgia. And, you know, Bryce Young is obviously better than Stinson Bennett is. But, you know, I thought Georgia did a great job last year in the national championship game. And, and, and them being able to beat Alabama on that stage, I thought that that was a start in the right direction for Georgia. And I think that's helped them this year because this year they didn't lose a single game. They didn't lose a single game. I remember earlier in the year, Remember, Tennessee was playing some good football earlier during the season because Tennessee beat Alabama earlier in the season in Knoxville. And then Tennessee played Georgia and got blown off the field. I mean, they got completely dominated in that game against Georgia. I don't I, I got to put up the score. It was 27 to 10, but the game really was worse than that. It was really that was in week 10. It was really worse than that, honestly. It, it could have got, got out of hand for Tennessee. But, again, Georgia 15-0 on the season. And, honestly, looking at their, look at their scores this year in games that they played. Week one, they beat Oregon 49-3. Week two, they beat Stanford 33-0. Week three, they beat South Carolina 48-7. Auburn, they beat them in week six, 42 to 10. They beat Vanderbilt 55 to zero. Dominated Florida by 22 points. Beat Mississippi State 45 to 19 in week 11. Now they were challenged in week five against Missouri. They only beat Missouri by four, 26 to 22. But besides that, I mean, that was their only game during the regular season where they were challenged. Now, obviously, in the playoffs, C.J. Stroud almost beat Georgia. And he almost pulled it off. C.J. Stroud, he literally put on a performance for the ages against Georgia. And him, by himself, single-handedly almost beat the Georgia Bulldogs. Some of those players who were out for Ohio State, if they played in that playoff game with Stroud, it makes you wonder if the Buckeyes could have been in the national championship instead of the Bulldogs because Strout had the Buckeyes right there in prime position to beat Georgia. But let's transition to the NFL and let's talk about the Green Bay Packers as the Detroit Lions beat the Packers 20-16. to Green Bay misses the playoffs for the first time since 2018. It was Aaron Rodgers' fifth straight game with one or fewer passing touchdowns. For the Lions, Jared Goff, he went 23 of 34. He threw for 224 passing yards. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, he went. 17 of 27, he threw for 205 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. Here was Aaron Rodgers after the game, after the Lions eliminated the Packers from playoff contention. Here's Aaron Rodgers. Where do you stand on what you want to do next year? I mean, it's a little raw right now. You know, it's just a little bit after the game. So I uh, want to take the emotion out of it and have 
conversations and see where the organization's at and see how I feel after some time has passed. Is there any sort of timetable with that? Is there like a date where you want to make your decision by? Or? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hold them hostage. Uh, you know, I understand, uh, you know, we're still in January here. March is for agency, so um, just need some time to, uh, like I said, get the emotion out of it and then um, figure out what's best. Is there, do you think is the decision all yours, you think? or No, I don't think so. I think there's got to be mutual uh, on both sides. So you could, because your contract, obviously, you got the guarantee. So if they wanted to move on or at least were open to it, would you be open to that too? or To what? To going to a different team? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't like saying never, but um, – Got to see how I'm feeling first uh, once the emotion's out of it and then have the right conversations and see, uh, see what the best direction is. That was Aaron Rodgers in the immediate aftermath of the Green Bay Packers 20-16 to loss to the Detroit Lions. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, everyone knows that I am a... Green Bay Packers fan at heart. I have been a Packers fan since I started watching football. I have loved the Green Bay Packers, and I have watched games played by Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and I have witnessed the Packers be contenders for a very, very long time with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers both quarterbacking my favorite football team and you know a lot of people they say they're fans of other teams that are not in the city where they were born and where they currently live I've actually been to Green Bay I've been to Lambeau Field and I, I it's a great atmosphere in Green Bay it's a great atmosphere for a football fan just to be able to take in the history that has happened at Lambeau Field and, you know, when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, I have been a supporter of Aaron Rodgers throughout his career. I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers and what he's accomplished. The man is a four-time NFL MVP. He won a Super Bowl back in 2010. He was the Super Bowl MVP for his career. Aaron Rodgers has 475 touchdown passes, 105 interceptions. That's nearly a five-to-one touchdown-interception ratio, 59,055 passing yards in his career. He's completed 65% of his passes for his career. But with all that being said and all the support I have given Aaron Rodgers throughout the years, I am here and I am ready to announce that I am ready to cut ties with Aaron Rodgers. I am so sick of Aaron Rodgers coming up short in the playoffs because this was a playoff game for the Packers. I am so sick of him, one, coming up short in big moments, in big games. This is the third year in a row where Aaron Rodgers has came up small 
when the lights were at its brightest. It happened a few years ago in the 2020 NFC Championship game. This was when Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, they came to Lambeau Field. Remember Aaron Rodgers, all these years, Aaron Rodgers has talked about how he wants to have a playoff championship game at Lambeau Field. Well, in 2020, he had his opportunity. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers were a wild card team in Lambeau. 2020, this was Aaron Rodgers in the fourth quarter in the 2020 NFC Championship game. Aaron Rodgers, he went in the fourth quarter. He went 4 of 11 passing. He had 54 passing yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. His passer rating was 52.8. So the Buccaneers were the wild card team. They were on the roll. And Tom Brady threw three interceptions in that NFC Championship game. And Aaron Rodgers couldn't get it done in that game. Let's transition to the next year, which was last year, shall we? Packers were the number one seed in the NFC again. This was in the division around. 49ers come to town in Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers in the fourth quarter of that game. He goes four of seven, 17 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions with a passer rating of 62.2. The Packers defense on that day only gave up 13 points. 13 points the Packers defense gave up at home, and Aaron Rodgers couldn't bring that game home for the Green Bay Packers. So we transition to Sunday night. The Detroit Lions, led by Jared Goff, they come to Lambeau. And in the fourth quarter of Sunday's game, Aaron Rodgers, he goes two of six passing, 12 passing yards, no touchdowns, one interception with a passer rating of 2.8. The man, in his final six passes this year, he went two of six passing for 12 yards. And the last pass that he threw was an interception. I am here to say that I am ready to cut ties with Aaron Rodgers for two reasons. One, because the man doesn't play well in big games. I've been defending Aaron Rodgers for years. And honestly, the last three games at Lambeau Field, when his team was the favorite, Aaron Rodgers did not get the job done like an elite quarterback is supposed to. That game Sunday night against the Detroit Lions, dare I say, Tom Brady would have found a way to win that football game. I know how great Aaron Rodgers is. I know how talented of a quarterback Aaron Rodgers is. But at some point, you have to have results to back up the narrative of you being a top five all-time great quarterback. And right now, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have those results. 
last three years at Lambeau Field when his team was the favorites. And in two of those three games, the Packers' defense held the opposing team to 20 points or less, and Aaron Rodgers couldn't get that done and finish the deal. This loss was on Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is the reason why the Green Bay Packers have not been back to another Super Bowl. I don't want to hear anything about Joe Barry and that defense. They did a sensational job against Jared Goff and that elite Lions offense Sunday night. They did a great job holding that elite offense to only 20 points. Seriously. And then he can't blame it on special teams because last year the Packers had a blocked punt that the 49ers scored a touchdown off of. There was no special teams blunder in this game. Aaron Rodgers just did not get the job done when he was called upon in big moments again. Mind you, the Packers are paying Aaron Rodgers $50 million. You can pay $50 million and you couldn't even lead your football team to the playoffs? You couldn't even lead this team to the playoffs? Yet you want to go up to the podium in the post-game press conference and talk about retirement again. It's like we're on a carousel on a merry-go-round with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Packers bring Aaron Rodgers back. They have a decent season, maybe even a great season, whatever. They miss the playoffs or they get into the playoffs. They lose. And then Aaron Rodgers wants to talk about retiring. I'm sick of Aaron Rodgers talking about retiring. Tom Brady is 45 years old, and there is no definitive answer as to whether or not he's going to retire at the end of the season. There are rumors about how Tom Brady may go to Las Vegas and team up with McDaniels and Devontae Adams because Tom Brady is in love with football. I don't believe Aaron Rodgers is no longer in love with football. And that's why Aaron Rodgers is not a leader in these moments when his football team needs him. And I think that's why you see the Packers come up small in big moments as a football team. If your leader isn't committed to your team being a true Super Bowl contender and winning another Super Bowl for the Packers organization, then there are other players that's on the football team that's going to see that. And that's the biggest reason why the Packers have not been back to the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers wanted to complain all season long about how the Packers were struggling with the young receivers like Christian Watson, like Romeo Dobbs. This dude didn't even bother to meet with the young receivers earlier before the season even started and try to build some chemistry with the young receivers so they could be on the same page once the regular season started. Instead, he wanted to complain when the Packers started losing football games. Oh, oh if, if guys can't catch the football, if they can't produce, we got to cut reps. That's what we got to do. You are supposed to be the leader of the Green Bay Packers. You're getting paid $50 million. So you're supposed to go and build chemistry with your young rookie wide receivers. Aaron 
Remember the first play from scrimmage for the Green Bay Packers this year? It was in Minnesota. It was a goal route from Christian Watson up the right sideline. Aaron Rodgers threw a perfect pass to Christian Watson. And Christian Watson had jitters because he's a rookie. And this is Packers. This is Vikings. This is Aaron Rodgers. I'm about to catch a pass from the great Aaron Rodgers. He drops the pass that would have been a walk-in touchdown, but I understand why he dropped that pass. He was nervous. He was, it was jitters. First game as a professional football player. And Aaron Rodgers ghosted Christian Watson. He ghosted him. He didn't look his way for weeks. He didn't look his way for weeks. So all season long, they were struggling until the last four games before this Lions game. The offense started to get into a rhythm, and you hear Aaron Rodgers talk about talking to the media. I told you so. I told you so. I told you guys we were, we were going to get it together. Baloney, Aaron, you weren't the reason why the Packers were winning football games. The defense started to play better. They capitalized on three turnovers off of Tua in the Miami game. Aaron Rodgers, you didn't throw for over 300 passing yards. You didn't have a three-touchdown performance in any of these games. You weren't the reason why the Packers had went on a four-game winning streak and positioned themselves to get into the playoffs in a win-and-end situation. It wasn't because of Aaron Rodgers. It was because of that Packers defense and the running game with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So I'm ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers. I am ready to move on to the Jordan Love era. Three straight games at Lambeau Field and three straight opportunities missed by the Green Bay Packers because of their Hall of Fame quarterback's inability to make big plays in big games. Yes, Aaron Rodgers is an all-time great. Yes, Aaron Rodgers is a first-ballot Hall of Famer, and he's one of the greatest throwers of the football in NFL history. But there's a reason why a lot of people have Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Joe Montana above Aaron Rodgers, and that is leadership. It's never anything to do with ability. Never. It's never anything to do with ability. It's about leadership. And in these big moments in big games, because his leadership is not very good, I believe that's why the team also struggles in big games. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter. At Wise Guys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to bring on Tony Hollinsworth. That's my college football analyst to discuss the Georgia Bulldogs 65 to 7 win over the TCU Horn Frogs. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
But welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the World Wide Sports Network. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Before I bring on my man, Tony Hollinsworth, I want to piggyback off something that I said earlier with the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers thing. So this year, Aaron Rodgers, he finished the season with 3,695 passing yards, 25 touchdowns. He had 12 interceptions, which were the second most in his career, and he only had one game with three touchdown passes. No games with 300 passing yards this year. At 39, this was his worst statistical season. His worst statistical season. And, again, I'm tired of, as a Packers fan, being held hostage by this man. It's time for us to move on, and it's time to see if Jordan Love can play. Because if Jordan Love can play, We've been missing out on Jordan Love the last two years. The last two years, we've been missing out on whether or not Jordan Love can play. Because here's the thing. Even if Jordan Love, let's say he's good, right? If the Packers would have allowed Jordan Love to play in the last four games, when they were four and eight, if they allowed Jordan Love to play in those final five games, we would have gotten the opportunity to see how good Jordan Love is or is not. So if Jordan Love is good, if you want to stay in this relationship with Aaron Rodgers, then you could have traded Jordan Love and got something back for him. Packers could have traded Jordan Love in the offseason if Jordan Love is actually good and they would have been able to see what value he has. There's a lot of teams out there that need a quarterback. Teams out there, they need... You need a quarterback in order to be a contender in the NFL. So if Jordan Love is good, you can use him as a trading piece to bring in other pieces to help Aaron Rodgers get back to the Super Bowl. That's why I understood where when a lot of people, when we were when the Packers were four and eight, I understood why people were saying there were Packer fans and people in the media that were saying the Packers should punt on the season. Let this let it go. You didn't have a good year this year. Try to stay with a good draft pick. See what Jordan Love can do. Because if he can't play, then you try to hold on to Aaron Rodgers as long as you possibly can. I'm willing to go with the unknown with Jordan Love instead of dealing with the diva in Aaron Rodgers. I'm ready to move on from it. It's time. The time has has come. And, you know, seeing him at the end of the game, Jameis Williams, the receiver for the Lions, former Alabama Crimson Tide player. He came up to Aaron Rodgers after the game, and he asked for a jersey. And Aaron Rodgers told Williams, he said, I'm going to hold on to this one. So maybe that's an indication that Aaron Rodgers is ready to retire and call it a career. And then at the end, of, after that, you saw the NBC cameras following Aaron Rodgers into the locker room. Randall Cobb walked off the field with Aaron Rodgers. You've seen Aaron Rodgers looking around the stadium, taking it all in. Hey, I'm ready to give him his walking papers. I love Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. But I'm tired of being held hostage, and I'm tired of him coming up small in big moments as a quarterback. We're paying this dude a lot of money. You're paying him a lot of money to miss the playoffs? Paying him a lot of money to not even get back to the Super Bowl? Forget winning another Super Bowl. This dude hasn't even been back to a Super Bowl 
since 2010. If I'm going to have to deal with you being a diva and always wanting attention from the media and having different kind of interviews, we need to have a trade-off to where we're winning games and we are playing for Super Bowls, not NFC North titles, not getting to the NFC Championship game and losing again, not getting to the playoffs and losing to the 49ers again. Because had Aaron Rodgers got the Packers to the playoffs, they probably were going to lose to the 49ers this weekend. But that would have at least been in, I would have felt like, okay, this year, considering the circumstances, you know, how long it took the team to get into a rhythm. Okay, I playoff round, first loss. Okay, I'll take that. But in previous years, all the stuff that the organization has dealt with with this dude to not even have another Super Bowl, it, it, it's not an equal trade-off. And like I said, I'm ready to cut ties with him. Seriously. Like, I, it, it's time for the Jordan Love era in Green Bay. But when it come around, come down to the overall game, I believe that the Lions' desire to keep the Packers out of the playoffs, it was it, they had more of a desire to keep them out of the playoffs than the Lions, than the Packers had to get into the playoffs. And I thought the Packers made a lot of mental errors in that game. They had two turnovers. The Aaron Jones fumble in the first half was it really cost the Packers at an opportunity to put up points and possibly go up two possessions. His fumble was in line, they were in Lions territory in a position to score some points. And then at the end of the game, the bonehead play by Quay Walker, there's a medical staff member from Detroit that comes out that's trying to attend to a player. And Quay Walker, for whatever reason, just pushes the, pushes the medical staff member. A week where we have been praising and we love the fact that the medical staff for the Buffalo Bills and the Study Bengals helped save DeMar Hamlin's life. A week where that happens, where we're celebrating and, and giving them their props. This dude, Quay Walker, decides to push a medical member of the Detroit Lions. Makes no sense. Terrible mental error in that moment. Terrible. It was so many countless errors by the Packers. And honestly, Jared Goff outplayed Aaron Rodgers, and the Lions outplayed the Packers. And Dan Campbell outcoached Matt LaFleur. Lions had more first downs than the Packers. The Lions had more passing yards than the Packers. They had more rushing yards than the Packers. They had more total yards than the Packers. They were able to sack Aaron Rodgers twice. Huntington had two great sacks on Aaron Rodgers. And the Lions also won the turnover battle. Lions, they did miss the playoffs because Seattle beat the Rams earlier in the day. The Lions are headed in the right direction. They definitely are headed in the right direction. But... Let's transition back to some college football. And it's time. I want to welcome to the show, Wise Guys, college football analyst, Tony Collinsworth. What's up, Tony? How's it going, man? I, I listened to that whole Aaron Rodgers thing, and, and you know how big of a, of a fan I am of, of Aaron. So that was, uh, that was good to listen to, man. I'm, I'm happy that, that as a... As a Packers fan, you've seen what critics like I say about Aaron all the time, so I, I'm happy to see it, man. Yeah, man, I, I love him. I love him. He's an all-time great. He's he's honestly, to me, he's the greatest Packer quarterback, you know, in in history. 
but we, we got to start being honest about it, man. In these big time moments in big games, he's came up small. And can I ask you one quick question about it? Because I know you I know you want to move on. I don't want to hold you up on the on the subject. Does he kind of remind you of Brett Favre there at the end of his Packer days? Like he kept mulling retirement. He wouldn't really give him a definitive. Like they had a they had a guy that they wanted to try to go with. You know, Aaron was obviously a little bit more proven than Jordan Love is. But does does it kind of give you Brett Favre feelings again? Like is, that's what it reminds me of. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and 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 it's crazy because you know obviously Brett Favre he had he had a chance to mentor Aaron Rodgers in the early part of Aaron Rodgers' career. And I thought there was a time there where Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, they didn't have the best relationship, Tony. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, the, you know, lately, over the last couple of years, they've developed a good friendship and a better relationship now than in previous years. But I think it's one of those things to where, like, you know how sometimes when you're a child, you see your parent as you grow up and go through the years, and you're like, I don't want to be nothing like my dad, or, you know, I don't want to be nothing like my mom. And then you grow up and you have people tell you, you're just like your mom or your dad. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was trying to, to be the opposite of Brett Favre in the early part of his career. But in the end of his career, with all this mulling retirement talk at the end of the season, it reminds me of Brett Favre in a very, very similar way. Mm-hmm. That, that was my thing. Is like he, I don't think he got him when he was younger because Brett didn't want to teach him. So they had a little bit of that beef as a result. And now, Aaron having be that guy, you know, potentially they're trying to push him out the door. I think, like you said, now he's grown up, he kind of understands where Brett came from of like, hey, this this is why I was the way that I am. So, yeah, I think I agree. I think now the last couple of years, Aaron's gotten to see that and kind of knows where Brett was coming from, that the the difference and that level of respect is finally there that he maybe didn't have to start with. Yeah, for sure. Now, let's transition, Tony, to the national championship. Georgia beat TCU 65 to 7 to repeat as champions in college football for TCU. Duggan went 14 of 22. He had Warren 52 passing yards, two interceptions. So a game for him to forget about and not remember. Stinson Bennett had 304 passing yards with 18 of 25, three touchdowns. He was named the offensive MVP for this game. So the Bulldogs, they get it done for a second consecutive year and repeat as champions. Tony, what was your overall takeaway from the Bulldogs' dominating performance over the Horn Frogs last night? That the not only is the SEC the conference to still beat, there's and, and I and I know a lot of people say the SEC, if you really look at it, there's only three teams that you really have to worry about in the SEC. That's Georgia, Alabama, and partially as a Tigers fan, I'm going to say LSU because you yeah. look at what LSU was able to do this year with Brian Kelly in his first year. A lot of those guys are going to be coming back next year. Tennessee, you're going to have to be on the lookout for, but Tennessee's quarterback situation is what kind of, you know, makes me a little bit skeptical about them. But honestly, I mean, this just shows that the SEC has continued to be in a different class altogether about how they play football. And you look at, you know, you you mentioned it earlier about how well Kirby Smart has done. You know, he took a lot of that Nick Saban, Alabama philosophy, brought it over to Georgia, and he's been able to run with it. I mean, you look at the depth that Georgia had with the four and five star recruits that they've got, you know, TCU can't match that. I love the TCU story. You know, they went unranked. They started getting a lot of wins. They started beating teams that they, quote, weren't supposed to beat. Um, And honestly, they fared a lot better against Michigan than what I thought they were going to. When I saw that first run by Donovan Edwards, it was a 57-yard run. I was like, oh, man, here we go. This this is going to be what we figured it was. You know, Michigan's going to bully them both offensively and defensively. 
to me, that was part of Michigan kind of being cocky. I think not really respecting TCU and not knowing what to expect. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, when Georgia, when Georgia had a little bit of that, that, you know, heart flutter, that heart scare from Ohio state last week, that to me, you know, sent a message to Georgia, like, Hey, we can't, we can't just be walking in thinking that we're going to march all over people, especially with an Ohio state. So I think that they, they took TCU probably the most serious that any other team has taken TCU seriously this year, aside from Kansas State, who was able to get the win over TCU in the Big 12 championship, obviously. But to me, this was a this was a statement from Georgia. I don't necessarily know about a dynasty. Uh, I know they let Beck come in as a backup quarterback there in the third quarter um, yeah. and let him play for a lot of it. They a lot of handoffs to kind of maybe see what they've got. But this this was a, a dominant statement from Georgia that, hey, we're still the champs for a reason. Now, let's talk about Stinson Bennett, Tony. In the playoff game against the Buckeyes, he went 23 of 34, threw for 398 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Obviously, last night, 18 of 25, he threw for 304 passing yards, and he had four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He even ran for two touchdowns. And, I, you know, obviously he was named the offensive MVP for the second straight year. He finished his, his career 29-3 and three as the Georgia Bulldogs starting quarterback. We know his story. He's an underdog, and he came a long, long way, Tony. What do you take away from this type of performance in this big game from a player like Stenson Bennett? He did what he needed to do in, in the situation that he was in. You know, he he managed yeah. the game well. He protected the ball. He was smart. Like, I'm not necessarily the biggest Stetson Bennett fan, but I'm not a Stetson Bennett hater. I, I really don't have anything against the guy. Like you said, he's a great story. He walked on in Georgia, knew he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time, went to junior college to be able to get the reps, get the experience, and then, of course, comes back. You know, he's sitting behind JT Daniels, who five-star prospect. We figured, okay, he's going to be the guy to lead Georgia ends up getting hurt. Stetson comes in and Stetson did what, you know, did absolutely what he needed to do. But I think what also really helped him is that he didn't lose that confidence. Even when Georgia did struggle a little bit, even after they got beat in the SEC championship last year against Bama, that they weren't, that he wasn't going to let that, you know, overtake him, that he was going to continue to do what he needs to do because he, he proved that he could be a winner. He proved that he could be a starter and he just continued to roll with it. And even in a sit-down interview, he mentioned that, that he's tough, that he has the grit and the perseverance to keep going. So, I mean, it it showed a lot about Stetson as far as his character, that even when he's had, you know, chances like against Ohio State when they were down, yeah. that, he, that he kept his same grit. He's not freaking out. He's not trying to force the ball. You know, he, I will give him credit. He's the type of quarterback that, I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to do what we can do. If we can move the ball, sweet. And I'm going to make plays where I need to make plays, whether that's by throwing it or moving it with my legs. Because that that's where I think a lot of people don't give him as much credit as he probably deserves. He is good with his legs. Yeah, he is. I agree. Last night, let me see, what did Bennett have? Bennett, last night, he ended up having 39 uh, rushing yards on three carries last night mm -hmm. for two touchdowns. So I agree with you 100% about that. Like I don't think he gets enough credit. Uh, for his playmaking ability at the quarterback position. Yeah. And and I don't know if, and I, I kind of wonder hypothetically if that isn't kind of, because this is how I kind of grade Alabama quarterbacks, is because you look at most Alabama quarterbacks when they transition from Alabama to the NFL, how many of them pan out super great? Yeah. 
Not a lot. Not a lot. lot. Like like most of them usually don't make it past their rookie contract, or if they do, they're usually career backups. Like Mac Jones, you know, he's only in his second year, about to go into his third. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I don't know how many people really still consider him a part of Alabama, considering he had a really good year with Oklahoma his final year before being drafted. And, of course, Tua, unfortunately, he's been injury-prone, but when he does start, Tua has been fantastic. So this latest group of Alabama quarterbacks have kind of broke the mold so far. But I wonder if for Stetson, if he doesn't kind of get that same Alabama treatment. Well, look at all the first-rounders that you have on offense. Look at all the first-rounders you have on that defense. And, I mean, honestly, I don't know about you, but when I first saw how many people got drafted off of Georgia's defense last year in the first round, I thought, okay, the defense can still be good. I don't think they're going to be near the level, and and to me, they weren't. But they were still one of the best defenses in college football this year. So I wonder if that's maybe not why – People don't give him as much credit as he deserves because he has such a great team built around him. It would be it would be really hard to screw that up. Agreed. And it in a sixty-five to seven game, Tony, it's kind of hard to find a turning point in that particular game. But mm-hmm. for me, I thought the turning point came in the first half. TCU, they were already down twenty-four to seven. They desperately needed a touchdown scoring drive just to build some confidence, you know, as we got into the second half and they were driving and Dugan throws an interception to Javon Bueller. And I thought that was the turning point in the game. Georgia goes on to score is 31 to seven. And at that point, the game was over. And I thought that was the biggest play and the biggest turning point of the game especially in the first half before it got out of hand. What was the turning point for you? Was that it, or was it another pl- particular play that you remember? Uh, to me, to me, I'll go a little bit earlier, but really close. I'll go to when you know, they're, do- they're down 10-0. TCU's able to come back. They get the score, and then it's 7-10. But yeah. then they, they've now started to notice that on you know three consecutive drives, because the next one they got another touchdown, so it's 17-7. To me, I think that's when TCU their spirit kind of to break a little bit because now their defense hasn't been able to get a stop like what they've been able to. And, and you look at that defense, they're not the greatest, but they're opportunistic. You know, they take the, they take the best of what they can get, you know, they'll get fumbles. They can take the ball away and, and they, they make do with what they get. And you look at Georgia, Georgia's not a team that makes a whole lot of mistakes like that. You know, look at the game, like you said, against Ohio state, that that was really more of our national championship game than the one against TCU. And, you know, Georgia made, you know, what, one mistake with the interception by Bennett. And it wasn't like it was a, you know, just dumb pass. It was Ohio State just got physical and took the ball. So to me, that was kind of the turning point when it was 17-7. I was like, man, TCU, you fell, you're falling behind early against a good team. And I, I kind of think that was the thought that they had, like, man, we're falling behind to a good team. They're not going to let us, you know, just score willy-nilly. They're not going to let us get back in this game. And yeah, I think I think really the nail in the coffin at that point was when they got that next touchdown to make it 27, uh, 24 to seven. I was like, yeah, that that's probably game over right there. He's a sports analyst slash podcaster. He is the wise guys college football analyst. He is Tony Hollinsworth. Tony, let's talk about Kirby Smart. And obviously, A lot of Alabama fans, they feel like today, like, hey, I kind of told you so. Hey, if we were in the national championship, it would have been a much closer game. And, you know, I I feel like you can't allow a team into the college football playoff with two losses. just can't happen. I I just don't believe that 
they deserve to be in the college football playoffs over TCU. Now, I do believe that Alabama versus Georgia would have been a much more competitive football game the same way Georgia versus Ohio State was a competitive football game. But when you look at Kirby Smart in comparison to Nick Saban, this is their first seasons with their teams. Kirby Smart, or Nick Saban, he went 79 and 15. Is he won 84% of his games, three national championships. Kirby Smart, 81 and 15. So he's won 84% of his games and he has two national championships. So do you believe that Georgia is now the standard in college football and is no longer the Alabama Crimson Tide? I'm not gonna give him I'm not gonna give him that that early yet. Um because I think a lot of the reasons why people give Alabama that crown is because they've done it for so long. You know, Alabama has had Nick Saban since, yeah. what, 2009, if I remember correctly? 2009, yeah. 2010. Georgia has been good for the last few years, but it was always that they can't get over the hump. They can't get they can't win the chip once they get there. Yeah. And now that they've finally done it twice, you you can definitely make an argument that they're one of the best programs currently right now in college football. I don't know if I would necessarily put them as the standard. Um, and again, this is coming from a guy that I, I can't stand Alabama. I was a big proprietor when I would see Alabama fans. And, and I'm not going to disagree. If Alabama was in the national championship, it would be a much more competitive game. You know, it, it would, it would be interesting, but I'm going to tell everybody the same way I've told Alabama fans. You, there is no such thing as a good loss. You don't, to me, if I'm the college football playoff committee, unless everybody has at least one loss, maybe two, then we can make an argument. Yeah. But you don't, you, but you can't tell me, well, we lost the absolute best and we lost to the best teams. There's a lot of teams that can make that type of argument. Like you could look at Ohio State, well, we lost to Georgia by one point. We should be in the national championship, not TCU. Yeah. Like, agreed. so to me, I, I would say they're really close. If they win maybe another championship here, either this next year or the year following, make it you know three in the last four years, I I would definitely be willing to make an argument that they're the standard now. But right now, I'd, I'd say it's still a little too early to give them that crown. Now, Caesar Sportsbook, they came out with their best odds to win the college football championship next season, Tony. And I'm going to give you some of these numbers. We got Michigan at a plus 1,400. We got LSU at a plus 1,400. USC plus a thousand, Ohio State plus six fifty, Alabama plus five fifty, and Georgia plus seventy five. TCU is a plus four thousand. So it's early, but we can think ahead. Who would you say would are the favorites? You know, heading into the next season, for to win the national championship. Who, who would you say is the favorite? Um, out of those three, I. I do agree. I think Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama are probably the three favorites, um, just because they're more than likely they're going to at least be in the championship game for their potential conferences. They're they're both gonna they're all three gonna be absolutely fantastic um, as yeah. far as the year goes. The fourth one, the fourth one is where I have a lot of doubt. Um, I don't know how well Michigan is going to do because you know their offensive line is going to be picked thoroughly through yeah. the NFL draft. You know, you don't get the two best offensive lines two years in a row and then not be picked pretty slim. Uh, they do get the advantage. They'll have Blake Corum back. I believe they'll still have Donovan Edwards. They'll still have J.J. McCarthy. So they'll still have a good roster. Although the other question is, is will Jim Harbaugh be there or not? And there's a lot of skepticism. There's rumors flying everywhere. 
He's connected yeah. to Denver. He's connected to Carolina. He's connected to Indy. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and of course, it's it. we're still hearing about NFL coaches being fired as it currently sits. So there might be another team that potentially pops up that he may or may not go to. Um, the one that I could probably say definitive, I don't think is going to be in the title picture. Uh, I'm I'm going to say USC. And I and I say that not because they're not a talented team and not because I don't think Lincoln Riley couldn't do it. You know, Lincoln Riley has probably one of the most prolific offenses in college football, but a wet paper bag has more of a defensive stop than the USC Trojans do. Like it, it, it and he brought the same guy over with him yeah. from Oklahoma. And you probably saw Oklahoma last year. And it was like the, their defense was absolutely terrible. They'd have to get in shootouts and you can't. And you saw it against Utah, a big physical team that said, okay, well, we'll be able to stop your offense. And when we do, we can just use our offense to run all over you. So USC is the only one for me. I would probably guarantee it isn't going to be in there, even though they're probably favored to be. Now, the one thing I got questions I got when it comes to Alabama, Tony, is obviously Alabama, they went from Tua and they had obviously had Mac Jones and then, you know, Bryce Young, he's going to go to the NFL now. So what what is the next steps for Alabama and who is going to be their future quarterback for next season? I don't remember his name. I did see that he is a five star recruit. If I remember right, I believe he I think he's going to be a freshman coming in. Okay. Um, so they have one of the top quarterback prospects out there. Um that that to me is probably where I didn't I didn't really understand why they why Bryce Young played in the Sugar Bowl. Because it wasn't going to change the the playoff standings, like they weren't, they still yeah. weren't going to go into the national title game. But they're like, well, Bryce is going to play, and I'm kind of sitting here thinking, well, well, why? Because yeah. you know, why why don't you want to see what you kind of have? Which they did. They ended up they they took Bryce out for the same reason. You know, they were they were so up on Kansas State, there was no way they were going to come back. Um, but I believe this prospect hasn't even signed with Bama yet, so he will be here this coming off season. So they don't really have much to evaluate him on. But it it does kind of make me wonder. Um, I wondered a lot this year with this current Alabama team after, again, the slew of first round picks that got picked, you know, Jamison William, you know, John Mechie, all of them got picked in the NFL. And I had Alabama team, uh, Alabama fans saying, well, this is going to be this is a better team than last year. And I'm kind of like, how? Like, I yeah. don't know the names of your receiver. I don't know the names of hardly anybody on your team other than Bryce Young. Other than yeah. Bryce Young and Will Anderson, I don't know the names of hardly anybody on your team. I agree. What do you mean I this agree. is going to be better? Well, I agree. No. <laughs> so I agree. it, uh, but I think with Nick, w- with Nick Saban, and especially how I believe he's probably going to tackle that team this offseason, because this Alabama team was not only to me kind of held back by a lack of talent. This was an undisciplined Alabama team, which is yeah. one that we've never seen this bad of an undisciplined team from a Nick Saban being coached, you know, coaching the Alabama Crimson Tide. So I think they will be better. You know, I still think they'll probably win about 10 to 11 games. I don't think they'll lose very many uh, this coming season, but it, it will be interesting to see because I, I don't really know where to gauge Bama. Um like I said, I still would put them as a favorite, and until they really just you know start losing three or four games a season, I'm still going to consider them a favorite to go in it just because of Nick Saban, and and we know what Nick Saban can do. One more question for you, Tony. Obviously, Max Dugan, he had a rough night last night. Didn't have a great performance through two interceptions, but for the season, he had 32 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 3,698 passing yards. 
He completed 64% of his passes. And coming into the season, he was a second-string quarterback, only got to play because of an injury, and he ended up being a Heisman candidate. Where do you believe Max Dugan goes from here? Do you believe that he can be a, a, a possible quarterback in the NFL at the NFL level? I'm I'm going to say no. Um, looking at both him and, honestly, I'll say this too about Stetson, I don't know if either one of them will be – will have enough talent around them to make it work. Now I could see a Max Dugan being a very good backup kind of filling in and probably winning yeah. you some really good games. Um, kind of like that chase Daniel role, kind of a little bit like um, I'm trying to think of a, like, uh, like Gardner Minshew kind of started out as a little bit yeah. of a backup role. Cooper so rush, I, Cooper rush yeah, for the Cowboys, maybe something like yeah, that. Maybe. A little bit like a Cooper rush. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he could be good. I think he could be serviceable. I don't trust him enough to be a starter. Um, just because, you know, we know he can throw the ball. We know he can make it work with what he's got, but what kind of makes me a little bit hesitant is he, he is more of a running quarterback. Like he can make plays with his legs. And as we've seen throughout, you know, college throughout the NFL, those types of guys typically don't last very long because you're going to have much bigger, much faster guys hitting you. Yeah. And those injuries tend to last a lot longer. So I, I think he I think he could still be a very good NFL quarterback, um, but I don't see him being a, a proven starter for for an NFL franchise in the foreseeable future. Tony, let everyone know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook at Inside the Hoosier Mind. You can also find me on Instagram at the same tag on Twitter. It's at Hoosier Mind. Uh, and you can also follow me on TikTok as well at Inside the Hoosier Mind. And before I go, sir, I do have a quick question, kind of going back to the the Bulldogs uh, this season and the last two seasons. Okay. I, I saw something today in a Facebook group. I know it's kind of a, a I'm going to say it's a little bit of a troll, but I've had I've seen some really crazy Georgia fanatics out there. They're saying that this Georgia team is better than the 2019 LSU Tigers that won the national championship. What what are your thoughts on that? Because I can tell you as not only a Tigers fan, I'm like, absolutely not. As a college fan, I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, I disagree. That that LSU Tigers team as an offense, they were a very, very high-powered offense. I mean, remember, and I talked about that earlier. I will say this too, Tony. I did say that Stinson Bennett's performance in the national championship it, it reminded me of Joe Burrow's performance mm -hmm. in the national championship against Clemson. Burrow, I think he went like 31 to 49, mm -hmm. 463 passing yards, five touchdowns. Yep. But to answer the question, that LSU team, they had Jamar Chase. They had Justin Jefferson. I believe they had Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Like, are you yep. like, re like, really? And Joe and Joey B, these yep. are players who are performing at a high level at the NFL level. Yeah. <laughs> like, like now, 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 defensively, that Georgia Bulldogs defense is the real deal. Yes, they're the, they're the real deal. So I, I like that Georgia defense, mm -hmm. maybe more so than that LSU Tigers defense at that time. Yeah. Not trying to take nothing away from them, but I think mm -hmm. that LSU Tigers offense was better than this Bulldogs offense. Yeah, and and I'll say too, to me, LSU beat more. They beat they beat honestly to me tougher opponents than Georgia did. Like you have to remember, they faced number nine Texas and one. They faced number seven Florida, one. Yeah. Nine Auburn, three Bama, four Georgia for the SEC championship, then four Oklahoma, and then three Clemson in the finals. Georgia beat Oregon to start the season. They were ranked number eleven, you know, pretty well. They beat Tennessee, obviously. 
and then they beat Ohio uh, LSU at 14 and then Ohio State at four and then TCU at three. So yeah, I agree. Defensively, you could I would 100 percent support that argument. But when I saw that offensively, I was like, y'all are going a little crazy yeah, right now. Too get, far. You look at Justin Jefferson now for the Vikings, and you look at Jamar Chase for the Bengals. I'm like, and you got to think that was with Joey B. Like there, there is no offense to me right now currently that is that is beating that. No way. No Absolutely way. Not. No way. And Joey B was in a zone. Yes. He was in a zone yes. during that, that run for the LSU Tigers. Yes. He won the Heisman Trophy and and that performance that he had. In the national championship game against Clemson was one for the ages. 100%. And his game against Bama, I mean, he had a phenomenal game against yeah. Bama as well. So, he yeah, did. I, I, I had to. Alabama. You know? Yeah. And I, I had to ask because I saw that. I was like, am I am I crazy? Like, I, no, no. <laughs> there's no yeah. way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. He's a sports analyst and podcaster. He is Wise Guys College Football Analyst Tony Hollinsworth, Tony, I'm definitely going to bring you on during the offseason, during college football. We're definitely going to talk some more college football for sure. Yeah, by all means. And if uh, if you ever want to talk NFL, I'm I'm all for it. You know, I, I don't I don't just critique Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm I try to be a little bit of a realist to everybody. I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan. I got to be I got to be somewhat of a realist because everybody else is way out there. I got to bring everybody back. Like, no, it's not our year. Come back, yeah, reel, it, reel it back, real quick. Are, y- are y'all going to beat Tom Brady? The realistic person in me says no, <laughs> just because. I mean, it's Tom Brady. We yeah. are the Dallas Cowboys are zero and five, zero and six against Brady all time. Yeah. Um. You know, he was one of the one of the few quarterbacks that beat Dallas at home uh, to start the season. I could maybe chuck that up to it's you know kind of rust for Dallas, getting used to everything. They don't have Amari. They have to rely more on CD. Yeah. I think the potential is there. I think now that Tampa Bay has really struggled uh, the last few games, you know, they've been winning games just barely. Uh, you know, the potential's there. I'm not going to say it's a favorite, though, because, I mean, it's in Tampa Bay. You still got to deal with Brady. You still got to deal with uh, Fournette. Their, yeah. their backup running back, who has been fantastic. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And, I mean, Dallas's secondary, other than Trayvon Diggs, who's a 50-50 shot, you know, He's going to be able to light it up with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, no doubt. So I agree. I agree. So yeah, I I don't have high hopes. I was I was hoping that maybe Dallas could get the two seed and they'd have to face like Danny Dimes, and I'd be like, oh man, thank God we get at least one win yeah. before we get the boot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Tony, I appreciate you joining me on the show tonight. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. As always, it's always a blast. And again, let me let me know whenever you need me to come on, and I I'm more than happily to join you, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is Tony. Hollinsworth, that's my guy, my my college football analyst, knows his college football. Go and follow him on all social media platforms and and definitely tune in. Thanks for thanks for calling in tonight. I appreciate it, brother. Have a good night. You too. But yeah, Tony, he definitely knows his stuff. He, he does a great, great job. But I'm going to preview the AFC North matchup between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens Sunday night at Paycar Stadium. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. 
They're live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Call into the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Anything you want to talk about, the question of the day for tonight's show is, who is the sleeper in the NFL playoffs? Which team is the sleeper in the playoffs this year? Who, who, who do you believe could sneak up on some teams and possibly get to a Super Bowl quietly? We'll call it, we'll, we'll, we'll call it, call it being quiet. But let's transition to the NFL playoffs. It's the AFC North playoff preview, a battle at Paycar Stadium, Sunday night, Ravens, Bengals. Bengals are favored by six and a half points. It's an 8-15 kickoff on NBC. The over-under for this game is 43 and a half points. So we look at this matchup. These are two teams who are very very familiar with each other and they split this year in their season series the ravens beat the Bengals back in week five in baltimore 19 to 17 in that game joe burrow went 24 of 35 he threw for 217 passing yards one touchdown one interception lamar jackson went 19 of 32 he threw for 174 passing yards one touchdown, one interception, and there was some questionable play calling by Zach Taylor at the end of that game for the Bengals. I thought the Bengals played well enough to win that game against the Ravens, but the Ravens, they did just enough to outlast the Bengals in Baltimore in week five. And then in week 18, at Paycar Stadium, no Lamar Jackson, the Bengals beat the Ravens. 27 to 16. No Lamar Jackson. No Tyler Huntley for the Ravens. So Anthony Brown got the start for the Ravens. He went 19 of 44. He threw for 286 passing yards, two interceptions. Joey B went 25 of 42. He threw for 215 passing yards, one touchdown in that game. And Jamar Chase, he had eight receptions for 86. Receiving yards, one touchdown. Before we even get to the X's and O's in the matchups in this particular game, we don't know the status of Lamar Jackson. And that's something that I want to talk about because when I look at Lamar Jackson for the season, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 2,242 passing yards. He's completed 58. I'm sorry. He's completed 62 percent of his passes this year Lamar Jackson has been out the last five games for the Ravens they played 18 games this year obviously he didn't play in the remaining six games and you know when you look at Lamar Jackson for his career Lamar Jackson he has 101 passing touchdowns 38 interceptions 12,209 passing yards. He's completed 64% of his passes, but that's not where he's made his name. He's made his name as a playmaking quarterback. And this is since his career started in 2018. Lamar Jackson, 
has 727 carries for 4,437 rushing yards, 24 touchdowns, averaging six yards per carry. And Lamar Jackson is one of the best young quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. And right now, he has not currently being paid like an elite quarterback. And you look at Lamar Jackson and what he's been able to do since he's been in the NFL, he only has one playoff win. But Lamar Jackson is the reason why the Baltimore Ravens are contenders, not only in the AFC North, but in the AFC overall. Lamar Jackson doesn't have the weapons that Joe Burrow has. He doesn't have the weapons that Josh Allen has in Buffalo. He doesn't have the weapons that Justin Herbert has with the Chargers. He doesn't even have a Travis Kelsey. I like Mark Andrews, but he's not Travis Kelsey. And Lamar Jackson, year after year after year, he has the Baltimore Ravens contending in the AFC North. And since he's been the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, he is 45 and 16 in 61 games as a starter. So Lamar Jackson is one of the best young quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. And he's a top 10 quarterback when he's healthy, in my opinion. Now, he doesn't have the pocket awareness that a Joe Burrow has or a Patrick Mahomes has or a Justin Herbert has or even a Deshaun Watson or a Dak Prescott. That's not who Lamar Jackson is. Lamar Jackson is the most athletic quarterback that we have in the NFL, and he's honestly even better than Michael Vick was. I love Michael Vick. Michael Vick was tremendous in his career, but I believe Lamar Jackson is a better passer than Michael Vick was. Michael Vick had a, be a stronger arm than Lamar Jackson, but I think Lamar Jackson is a little bit more dynamic than Michael Vick ever was. And I love Michael Vick. I do. But Lamar is on another level. But no Lamar does. He can't throw the football as accurate as those other quarterbacks that I mentioned. But Lamar is a proven winner. And he's the reason why the Ravens are contenders in the AFC. You look at Lamar Jackson and his receivers that he's had to play with this year. He has James Prochet, Sammy Watkins, who Father Time has caught up with, Demarcus Robinson, Devin Duvernay, who's on IR, Rashad Bateman. He hasn't done much since he's been in the NFL. So his receiving core is below average. And Lamar Jackson, year after year after year, has the Baltimore Ravens contending in the AFC. So whether or not the Ravens have an opportunity and chance to win this game is going to depend on the availability of Lamar Jackson. Because let's just say that the Ravens don't play Lamar in this game and Lamar decides that he's not going to play. I believe that if the Ravens lose to the Bengals or if they get blown off the field, that increases Lamar Jackson's value in the offseason. And the Ravens don't have a, they don't have no choice but to pay Lamar Jackson. They have to give him the money that he deserves. 
Deshaun Watson, legal troubles and all, got $230 million guaranteed from the Cleveland Browns. Deshaun Watson, I love Deshaun. And I think Deshaun has tremendous upside. But Deshaun Watson doesn't have an NFL MVP. Neither does Joe Burrow, neither does Justin Herbert, and neither does Josh Allen. Let's give Lamar Jackson the credit that he deserves, and let's appreciate him for having the Baltimore Ravens contending year in and year out without an elite receiving core. This receiving core is below average at best. So I think if Lamar doesn't play, that increases his value in contract negotiations with the Baltimore Ravens during the offseason. Now, on the flip side, if the Ravens go out and they upset the Bengals with Huntley, because I believe that's why Huntley didn't play in week 18 against the Bengals, because they wanted to rest Huntley up in, up in case that he had to play again the following week. Let's say Huntley goes out there and he upsets the Bengals then the Ravens at that point would have an upper hand over Lamar Jackson and contract negotiations because they could say, hey, we won a playoff game without you, so your value has went down significantly. But if Lamar goes out there and he plays and he doesn't play very well and the Ravens lose, then that also will decrease his value. The only way his value increases is if he goes out there and he plays well and the Ravens win and upset the Bengals. The Bengals are six-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. No one expects the Ravens to beat the Bengals at Paycar Stadium in the jungle Sunday night on NBC. No one expects it to happen. We know how elite this Bengals offense is with Joe Burrow and the weapons that he has at his disposal. The Ravens are significant underdogs in this game. But if Lamar Jackson can go into the jungle fresh off of missing the last six games and upset the Bengals, that will increase his value, and the Ravens will have no choice but to give him top dollar as their starting quarterback because he deserves it. He deserves it. There's not a player in the NFL that's more valuable to his football team as a quarterback than Lamar Jackson is for the Ravens. Now. When I look at this Ravens offense, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards as their running backs in the backfield, Kenyon Drake, they sat J.K. Dobbins out in Week 18 to rest up for this matchup against the Bengals. But I look at this receiving core, Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins needs to retire. His best days are behind him. James Prochet, I mean, come on. Devin DuVernay is on IR. Rashad Bateman is on IR. I mean, what really is Lamar Jackson working with in Baltimore? Mark Andrews is their tight end. That's his most reliable weapon offensively. That's his most reliable weapon. Now, when you look on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens, they got Travis Jones at nose tackle. They got Calais Campbell as well. They got Jason Pierre-Paul. Linebacker, they signed Raekwon Smith to a record-breaking new contract earlier this afternoon. Patrick Queen at linebacker. I still believe their secondary is pretty good with Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey as well. I like that secondary from the Baltimore Ravens. But they're going to have their hands full in this game because 
they're going up against Joe Burrow and this elite Cincinnati Bengals offense. This is one of the best offenses we have in the NFL. For the season, Joe Burrow, 35 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 4,475 passing yards. He's completed 68% of his passes, and he is top three in the NFL MVP conversation as we speak. I believe it's Patrick Mahomes. I believe it's, you know, a debate, honestly, between Joey B and Josh Allen. So maybe, honestly, depending on who you ask, Joey B could be top two in the NFL MVP conversation. But we know that he has elite weapons to throw the ball to. I believe the Bengals receiving core with Jamar Chase, with T. Higgins, with Tyler Boyd is the best receiving core in the NFL. You look at their numbers this season, Jamar Chase has 87 receptions, 1,046 receiving yards, nine touchdowns. T. Higgins, a great Number two option at receiver. Love to have T. Higgins in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love. T. Higgins for the season, 74 receptions, 1,029 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. And Tyler Boyd can hold his own as well with 58 receptions, 762 receiving yards, five touchdowns. I think Tyler Boyd is a great slot receiver for this Bengals offense. But I think for this Bengals team to get back to the Super Bowl, they're going to need Joe Mixon to elevate his game so they can depend on the running game and not be one-dimensional. When you get to the playoffs, you want to play complementary football and be able to run the football and not have to rely on your quarterback to drop back to pass over 40 times to win football games. The Bengals need Joe Mixon to play better in the postseason compared to what he did in the regular season. I thought Joe Mixon had a subpar season at best. That's being nice. This year, Joe Mixon had 210 carries, 814 rushing yards, average close to four yards per carry, seven touchdowns. So I love Joe Mixon. I think Joe Mixon is one of the best running backs in the NFL when he's playing at his best. But this year, Joe Mixon, he hasn't been at his best. There's been games where I've seen P. Ryan run harder and more effective than Joe Mixon has run the football this year. Seriously. But I think the Bengals are going to need Joe Mixon to step up major, major for them to get back to the Super Bowl. Hayden Hurst, he's going to be an X factor for the Bengals in their passing attack. 52 receptions. 414 receiving yards, two touchdowns. He missed a few games this year. He only played in 13 games this year. He was scheduled to play in that Bills game on that Monday night game at Paycar, but he, obviously the game wasn't always completed. But Hayden Hurst is going to be key for the Bengals as, as an X factor in that offense. Now, one of the keys for the Bengals is their offensive line. And they had a key injury late against the Ravens last week, Alex Kappa, their guard, he got injured. And I think that's going to be key for the Bengals. If they want to have any chance at getting back to the Super Bowl, you have to protect Joe Burrow. Last year, Joe Burrow was sacked a league high 53 times during the regular season. And he got sacked the most 
more than any other quarterback in the playoffs last year. And the Bengals still got to the Super Bowl. Still got to the Super Bowl. Them losing Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins could hurt the Bengals during their playoff run this season. You need their offensive line to be at full strength. That was the weakness of their football team last year. Defensively, we know how, how good Lou Adamarall has this Bengals defense playing. Look at the Bengals defensively. They give up 346 total yards per game. That's ranked 12th in the NFL. They only give up 107 rushing yards per game. That's ranked 7th in the NFL. And they only give up 20 points per game. That's tied for 5th in the NFL. So I believe that this Bengals defense is a good defense. Not great, but good. But I think that if they can create pressure with Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard and DJ Reader up front, I believe that is a recipe for success for this Bengals football team to go on a major, major playoff run. Now, their weakness defensively is Eli Apple. I've been consistent with this. I believe that Eli Apple is their biggest weakness defensively. And, again, a lot of Bengals fans like to argue with me and debate with me, and Eli Apple is better than you think. He's better. I don't think Eli Apple is very good. But I believe that the Bengals defense can overcome Eli Apple and his shortcomings if they can apply pressure on opposing teams' quarterbacks during this playoff run. So it's going to be a good matchup between the Ravens and Bengals. These two teams are very, very familiar with one another. They do not like each other. And it's going to be a battle at Pekar Stadium Sunday night in the jungle. It's going to be a battle. And again, I'm picking this game based on me believing that Lamar Jackson will not play. He might play, but this my prediction is going to be based on him not playing in this game. So with all that being said, I believe that Sunday night at Paycar Stadium in the jungle, the Cincinnati Bengals will beat the Baltimore Ravens 28-17. I'm going Bengals 28, Ravens 17. But again, this pick is based on me believing that Lamar Jackson will not play in this football game. So if news comes out that Lamar will play, I might change my pick. But that's what I got for now. I believe the Bengals are a better football team than the Ravens are. And I believe that right now they're just playing at a, at a higher level than the Ravens are currently playing at. So I'm going Bengals 28, Ravens 17. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Should have follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'll be right back. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. 
Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore Wait, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call into the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. The question for the day on tonight's show is, who is the team that's in the NFL playoffs that is the sleeper team that could sneak up on some teams and surprise other teams and possibly get to the Super Bowl? Who you got? Call into the show. Give me, give me your opinion on who's the sleeper in the NFL playoffs this year. Let's transition to some NFL, and I want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals real quick before I do my preview on the Chargers-Jaguars game. Before I get out of here, the Cardinals, they fired Cliff Kingsbury yesterday after four seasons. ESPN's Adam Schefter reports that the Cardinals have fired Cliff Kingsbury. The Cardinals, they went four and 13 this season. That's the second worst in the NFC. My immediate reaction once I found out that the Cardinals were firing Cliff Kingsbury was Cliff Kingsbury never should have gotten the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job to begin with. It's about damn time that the Cardinals woke up and understood that Cliff Kingsbury is not the right coach in place that is going to help Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals become contenders in the NFC. I look at the NFC West, and there are three other teams in the NFC West who is better than the Cardinals are right now. The Seahawks and the 49ers are both in the playoffs this year. The Rams, despite their struggles this year, are fresh off a Super Bowl win. So the Arizona Cardinals are the team that is behind when it comes to contending in the NFC West. And when I look at Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury, when he was at the University of Texas Tech, he was the head coach there, and his record was 35 and 40. So he won 47% of his games while he was the head coach at Texas Tech. I don't understand for the life of me how the hell Cliff Kingsbury got the head coaching job in Arizona to begin with. What credentials did Cliff Kingsbury have that made him the right coach for the Arizona Cardinals? He had zero credentials. Now, he was a head coach at the collegiate level, but the man at Texas Tech went 35 and 40. He won 47% of his games. And since he's been the head coach in Arizona, this is Cliff Kingsbury's record, 28-37-1. So he's won 43% of his games as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. So everywhere you look when it comes to Cliff Kingsbury, he was never the right man for the job. Never. And honestly, I believe now for the Arizona Cardinals to, to be contenders 
in the NFC West and try to get back to the playoffs, they have to bring in a coach who can connect with Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler Murray, before his horrific season-ending injury, he had 14 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 2,368 passing yards. He completed 66% of his passes. We know he got the big-time contract before the season. That's the one thing we can say about Kyler Murray because Lamar, unlike Lamar Jackson, who doesn't have a big-time contract yet, and he's, you know, risking a lot going out there and playing for the Baltimore Ravens, for Kyler Murray, when he got injured earlier in the season, for him to already have gotten paid, it is something that Kyler Murray has to be appreciative of and something that he has to be thinking, like, damn, I'm glad I got my money when I got it. So Kyler Murray is going to be the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals for future seasons to come, even if he doesn't start the season week one for the Cardinals next year. He's going to be their quarterback for the franchise as his career goes along. And I believe they're going to have to bring in a coach who can connect with Kyler Murray. When you look at your young quarterbacks in the NFL, all the young quarterbacks who are in the playoffs and contending for Super Bowls, they have a good relationship with their head coach. Joe Burrow has a great relationship with Zach Taylor. Josh Allen has a great relationship with Sean McDermott. Andy Reid has a great relationship with Patrick Mahomes. Harbaugh even has a great relationship with Lamar Jackson. So I think it's going to be very, very important during their coaching search for the Cardinals organization to bring in a head coach who can connect with Kyler Murray and get the best results out of Kyler Murray as their quarterback so the Arizona Cardinals can be contenders in the NFC West moving forward. The Seahawks and the 49ers are playing this weekend, a wild card weekend. They made the playoffs. The L.A. Rams, they won a Super Bowl last year. The Arizona Cardinals haven't done much. And they actually got blown off the field last year by the L.A. Rams in their route to the Super Bowl. There was a disconnect between Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury all season long. He was never the right man for the job. Never. He was never the right man for the job. So that's my thoughts on the Arizona Cardinals and the Kyler Murray situation. I believe they need to really, really bring in someone who can, can connect with Kyler Murray and they can be on the same page so this Arizona Cardinals football team can contend moving forward. But let's transition to a matchup on Saturday night football. We got the Chargers, who are currently favored by one point in Jacksonville to take on Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. It's an 8-15 kickoff. The over-under for this game is 47 points. Now, these two teams met in week three. The Jaguars, they beat the Chargers 38-10 to in that game. And in that matchup, let's look at some of these numbers. For the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence had a pretty good game. In that matchup, Trevor Lawrence, he went 28 of 39, 262 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Zay Jones had 10 receptions, 85 receiving yards, one touchdown for the Jags. And Justin Herbert, he went 25 of 45, 297 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception in that game. And the Jaguars dominated the game from start to finish. They 
were up at the half. They were up 16 to 7 over the Chargers. Then the Jaguars, they outscored the Chargers 22 to 3 in the second half. So it was a dominating performance by the Jacksonville Jaguars. But at the time, the Chargers were dealing with a lot of injuries at that time. So, you know, that was the previous matchup between the two teams. Now, when I look at these two quarterbacks of these two football teams, let's start off with Justin Herbert. For the season, Justin Herbert, he has 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 4,739 passing yards. He's completed 68% of his passes. This is the first year where Justin Herbert led his team to the postseason. Coming into the season, the expectation for Justin Herbert was to get the L.A. Chargers to the playoffs. So I believe that Justin Herbert has already exceeded expectations this year. Let's not move the goalposts. All these other young quarterbacks like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, they had led their teams to the postseason before. Justin Herbert had not done that prior to this season. So we can't move the goalposts now. He got the Chargers to the playoffs. So now I believe Justin Herbert is playing with house money. And I believe that when you look at this Chargers offense and what they have, for Justin Herbert, you got Austin Ekelar in the backfield. Ekelar, 204 carries, 915 rushing yards, 13 touchdowns this year. I love the job that he's done running the football and moving the chains for this Chargers offense. But I believe Ekelar has done a great job in the passing game for Justin Herbert this year. 107 receptions, 722 receiving yards, five touchdowns. So I believe he's been a nice target out of the backfield for Justin Herbert this season. But this receiving core for the Chargers, they can be dangerous if they're healthy. Mike Williams got injured in a Week 18 game against the Denver Broncos, and that's another thing. I don't understand for the life of me why the hell Brandon Staley had his starters playing in a, in a meaningless game against the Broncos in Week 18. Made no sense. Why the hell do you have Mike Williams out there and Joey Bosa out there? It made zero sense to me. I didn't understand that. I don't even understand why the hell Justin Herbert even played in that game. It's too much risk, too much that you can risk with injuries and guys getting stepped on and stuff like that. It made zero sense. But the reports that Mike Williams, he, he is going to probably play in this game against the Jaguars. And he's been their best receiver in 13 games played this year. 63 receptions, 895 receiving yards, four touchdowns. I believe that Mike Williams is going to be a, a key target for Justin Herbert because he's a great red zone target. You know, Mike Williams, he is 6'4", so he's somebody that Herbert can throw the ball to when the Chargers get into the red zone. But we know that the number one receiver on this Chargers team is Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen is better than Mike Williams. But Mike Williams is having a better season. Keenan Allen this year, 66 receptions, 752 receiving yards, four touchdowns. I think Keenan Allen is, is, is going to be called upon to step up in a major way in a passing game for the L.A. Chargers. 
Offensively, the Chargers, they're ranked 10th in the NFL in total yards average per game. They average 372 yards per game. They're ranked third in the NFL with 270 passing yards per game. And they are ranked eighth in the NFL, and they convert on 44% of their third down plays. So we know that this is a big play offense. They have the capabilities of being able to score with the Bills, with the Bengals, and with the Chiefs. The Chargers are definitely capable of being able to keep pace with those teams I just named. That's at the top of the AFC. Now, when I look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe this year Trevor Lawrence has took some major, major steps, and he has progressed as a quarterback. I believe in his sophomore season, I've seen things out of Trevor Lawrence that makes me believe he's a franchise quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars moving forward. This year, Trevor Lawrence, 25 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 4,113 passing yards, he completed 66% of his passes this year. So I believe that Trevor Lawrence has proven to be a franchise quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars for future seasons to come. I, I really love the job that Trevor Lawrence has done this year as a quarterback leading this football team. But I don't believe Trevor Lawrence has his progress without a head coach, the likes of Doug Peterson. I believe that Doug Peterson deserves to be the NFL coach of the year. Because last year, Trevor Lawrence was a mess with Urban Meyer. This year, with Doug Peterson, he has elevated his game to a point to where he's a franchise quarterback. The Jaguars won the AFC South. And they get a chance to host a home playoff game. I don't believe it happens without Doug Peterson being the head coach of this football team. You got to remember, Doug Peterson, while he was the head coach in Philadelphia, he went 42-37-1. So he won 53% of his games. The man won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as his quarterback. He won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. I don't believe he deserved to get fired in Philadelphia. I think Doug Peterson deserved to keep his job despite the 4-11-1 record that he had in 2020 with the Eagles. But Dougie P knows his football, and he is the primary reason why the Jaguars have turned around their season and now are hosting a home playoff game. He, you got to give him credit for it. They finished the season on a five-game winning streak. And they are now in prime position to definitely win a playoff game and, and head on to the divisional round, and we'll see what happens from there. Now, offensively for the Jaguars, they have Etonine Jr. in the backfield. Now, Etonine this year, 220 carries, 1,125 rushing yards, five touchdowns. He has that chemistry with Trevor Lawrence dating back to their days at Clemson. So I think he's going to be key for this Jaguars offense. Etanine is a major, major player that could have a major, major impact on whether or not the Jaguars can advance in the playoffs. So look out for Etanine.
If you're a betting man or woman, he's a nice player on a player prompt to pick. Now you look at their receiving core. They brought in Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk this year, 84 receptions, 1,108 receiving yards, eight touchdowns, and they got Zay Jones. Zay Jones, 82 receptions, 823 receiving yards, five touchdowns. So those are their two primary receivers. I think they're, they are decent. I don't think they're great as Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are, but they are decent, and I think they can make plays in the passing game for this Jacksonville Jaguars football team offensively. They average 369 total yards per game. That's ranked 11th in the NFL. They average 233 passing yards per game. That's ranked 10th in the NFL. And they convert on 42% of their third down plays. That's ranked ninth in the NFL. So this Jaguars offense is, I would say, average to good. Not great like the Bills, Bengals, or Chiefs, but they're average to good. So this, this is going to be a good game. I, these two quarterbacks, this is their first playoff games. This is Justin Herbert's first playoff game of his career. And this is Trevor Lawrence's first playoff game, obviously, of his career. Now, Trevor Lawrence has played in a lot of big games dating back to his days at Clemson with Davo Sweeney. So I'm not sure which quarterback has the advantage. I like both of these quarterbacks in Herbert and Lawrence, but in the playoffs, backsides get tight and palms get sweaty. And we get a chance to see who is the real in big moments in the playoffs. So I'm excited about that when it comes to these two teams and their respective quarterbacks. Now, defensively, the Chargers, they got Joey Bosa. They got Derwin James as well. Those are two players who can have a major, major impact defensively for the L.A. Chargers. I thought last week the Jaguars, their defense, they didn't do very well um, against the pass and against the run against that Tennessee Titans offense because the Titans offensively, all they had was Derrick Henry. I mean, <laughs> I mean, all they had was Derrick Henry. Joshua Dobbs, give me a break. But they allowed Joshua Dobbs to have 179 passing yards. I didn't even think he was good enough to even get 150 passing yards, let alone 179. So this Jaguars defense, they got some work to do. They got they definitely have some work to do. And defensively, they are led by defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. That's their defensive coordinator. So he's he going to have to definitely put together a nice game plan to try and slow down Justin Herbert and his high-powered Chargers offense. But with all that being said, it's prediction time on the Wise Guys Sports Show. I believe that the Chargers are a slightly better football team than the Jaguars are. I believe Justin Herbert is better than Trevor Lawrence is. And I believe that the Chargers are the sleepers in the AFC and in the entire NFL playoff picture. I'm rolling with the L.A. Chargers to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm going Justin Herbert, 31, Trevor Lawrence, 24. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair in Jacksonville. And I think both of these quarterbacks will play well, but I believe Justin Herbert will outlast Trevor Lawrence. Everybody, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. 
no sports. So Thursday night show, I'm going to preview the rest of the matchups in the NFL playoffs. We got the Seahawks and Niners in the NFC West Saturday afternoon battle. Also, we have the Dolphins, Bills, AFC East matchup as well. And then Monday night, we have the Cowboys, Buccaneers, Prescott, Brady, two matchups and two teams that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Monday night in prime time. And obviously, we got the Giants and the Vikings Sunday afternoon in Minnesota. So, hey, it's going to be some some great, great football play this weekend. I'm going to definitely preview the rest of those matchups on Thursday night show as we get closer to NFL wild card weekend. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm Trey Larkin signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Have a great night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.